Welcome to the Maintenance Community Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn all things about maintenance and reliability. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each episode, I'll be meeting with an expert in the maintenance and reliability community to take a deep dive into topics that help elevate the entire industry. Our topics are sourced from the Maintenance Community Slack group, which is the largest online community of maintenance professionals around the world. And today, I'm super excited to have Dan Anderson here on the show. Dan is currently a manager at the Lifecycle of Engineering. He's also a member of the SMRP Board of Directors with decades of experience in this maintenance and reliability space. So welcome to this podcast, Dan. I'm super excited to have the opportunity to learn from you. I'm super excited to be here, Ryan. Thank you for having me on the show. All right, let's jump in. So the way that we always kick these podcasts off, Dan, is have you share a little bit more about your background and how you were first introduced to this you know, wonderful space of maintenance and reliability. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. So, you know, kind of through high school and college, I worked with several manufacturing facilities, you know, as a temp job and even coming out of college, you know, I graduated from the Citadel back in 96 and went back there for my graduate degree in 06, so 20 years later. Since then, I took a job out of college with DataStream. I started out as an associate consultant, really rooting around tool cribs and organizing parts, barcoding parts, and putting together good you know, part numbers and things like that. And so I went into business for myself for a while, worked with manufacturing companies in that capacity, helping them to implement their CMMS or teaching them how to use it. Then it became real apparent to me when I came to Lifecycle 14 years ago, and they started telling me about what reliability was all about. And it was basically thinking more proactively, focusing in on the processes and not the, the technical tool or the software package. So yeah, that's kind of how I started was just, you know, working for companies in upstate South Carolina, you, know, you got BMW, Michelin, a number of those organizations, but then also getting my hands dirty once I you know, got out into the professional workspace and took a job with DataStream. I think it's what, 20 years later, right? Still in this industry. It sounds like you, you enjoyed it enough to stay in this industry, which I absolutely love. And that's obviously why you know, I'm so excited to have you on this podcast today is because I'm sure, Dan, you've seen some really, really good, some really, really bad. And mm -hmm. I think what today's episode is going to be all, all about is learning all things about like maintenance culture, maintenance teams, and change management, the good, the bad, the ugly, the great. Dan, let, let's quickly talk about like maintenance culture. What have you seen from other companies that demonstrate an amazing, you know, maintenance culture? And mm -hmm. what have you seen from companies that have, let's call it like an underdeveloped maintenance culture? At Lifecycle Engineering, we have what we call a maturity matrix for like different work streams. So they basically fall into four buckets, right? You have your reactive organizations, your emerging organizations, your proactive organizations, and you have best in class, right? And so uh, usually with reactive organizations, you know, it becomes very apparent as soon as you walk in the door you know, they have no EAM, CMMS system in place. Maintenance job plans don't exist. Day-to-day -day activities are really managed by the machine and not the individual. That's generally what I've seen from reactive organizations. There's a lot of downtime, a lot of expediting of parts, uh, cell phones are pulling personnel and the plan on weekends or holidays. Reactive versus the proactive behavior is rewarded a lot of times in that culture. 
So you might see somebody who comes in on the weekend and gets that machine up and running and they have a, a picnic for them the next week versus the, the PM mechanic who goes out and consistently you know, does their job every day and makes sure that machine's up and running proactively versus the machine you know, calling the people in on the weekends and getting them away from their families and maybe taking their son away from the little league ball game. So, I mean, with, with this maintenance maturity model, obviously you've got, again, like the reactive side and then the very, very proactive side. I'm curious, have you seen that shift change over the you know, past few years, decades? I'll give you a little bit of context where this is coming from. I do personally feel like we've been talking about the shift from reactive to proactive, the shift from proactive to preventive or predictive for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Have we made much progress, Dan? And what's stopping us from making even more progress? No, I think it's definitely awareness, Ryan. You know, companies like your organization that bring awareness to these folks that, hey, there's better ways of doing things and really self-exploration of how things are done right now. For example, you know, with the pandemic, there's a lot of consumer products out there that were being used quite frequently you know, organizations like wipes, sprays, things like that, where they couldn't make enough of that to get it out the door. And so they're looking at, you know, companies that are three, 400% capacity, you know, as, as the, the more they're making this stuff, the more they can sell. And so they really don't stop and think about the efficiencies within the organization and the money they can save, you know, but it eventually comes around. So these sales heavy organizations, a lot of times they you know, they feel comfortable because they're making profits, but they're not stopping to think about the efficiencies and the products they could be making and that market share they could be winning. You know, so we really come in and help them to understand that, hey, if you cut back on this over time, if you cut back on expedited parts, if you keep your OEE, you know, at a very good, your overall equipment effectiveness at a very good level, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be adding a lot of value to your bottom line within the organization. Yeah. I'm curious, Dan, is there like a moment in time where, you know, companies have this aha moment, this light, light bulb moment that they say, you know, reliability is an important topic, important issue for us. What, what is the most common like light bulb moment that people and companies, you know, decide that reliability is an important issue? Is there one? <laughs> I think that there's two foundational ingredients to it, Ryan. So like, you know, uh, plant partnerships, understanding that reliability is not just a maintenance initiative. It's an initiative with a partnership between maintenance and operations. Yeah. And then it's being driven from the top down and that executive awareness. And we all know what's important to executives, which is, you know, money, right? <laughs> the bottom line is that making sure that their organization is profitable. So you really have to build a business case, I think, a lot of times where you, you come in there and you make a very impactful business case. And that kind of comes into the whole change management side, which I know that we're going to talk about here as well. But creating that business case, being able to show, hey, we're able to save this much money, you know, just by doing things differently, doing things more proactive. And I'm curious, like, what are some of the biggest trends or shifts that you've seen over the past couple of years in the way that like maintenance teams operate, the way that businesses look at reliability? Do you feel like a lot has changed over the past, you know, five, 10 years? Or do you, do you largely still see that, you know, maintenance reliability is still viewed as in, in the same light and fashion? Obviously, I've got my own opinion. 
<laughs> no, no, no. That's a great question, Ryan, because I think, you know, if you look back and when I first started 20 years ago out in the field, you know, and you'd walk into an organization and you'd say, well, whose responsibility is safety? And everybody would raise their hand and say, you know, everybody's responsibility is safety. Back then, though, you didn't have many people when they said, well, who's responsible for reliability? There's a lot of finger pointing here and there, you know, about who's responsible for reliability. But I think you walk into some of the top performing organizations, you know, the ones that you're familiar with, you know, the Cargills, the, the DuPonts, you know, those types of organizations where, you know, reliability is very important and they have an internal team that, you know, supports that effort. I think that you could walk into one of their plants and very similar, just like 20 years ago when everybody was raising their hand about safety, people would say, well, who's responsible for reliability? And you'd get just about everybody within the organization raising their hand from accounting to engineering to the plant floor. So I actually, Dan, I, I largely agree with that too. It's like the best, the best organizations have made tons of progress. It's, it's actually really cool. It's very enlightening to see what they're doing to drive better reliability practices and push the entire industry forward. I do personally feel though that the, let's call it like this industry, our industry is a little bit slower or maybe quite a bit slower to change and adopt new technologies and trends. I'm curious from, from your thoughts, Dan, why do you think that is? If, if you, if you also agree. No, I agree with that too. And we're in a funny period of time, Brian, to where, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. I think people are still being real tight with the dollar. So it, it's really the, just the justification. A lot of times when I look at it, I think to myself, I'm like, well, you have a lot of folks that get these you know, really shiny, beautiful toys, these predictive maintenance toys, they can go out there and collect a lot of data. But if they're not doing the fundamentals correctly to start off with, all they're doing is automating their bad data. So if you think about it, you know, just from a, a, a keep it simple kind of perspective, you know, to play baseball, first thing you got to do is catch and throw the ball and hit the ball. You know, all the things like signs and being able to run out, you know, make a beautiful catch in the field, they, those all come into place after you got the fundamentals. And I think a lot of people just still struggle getting those fundamentals in place, either because they're cash rich and getting product out the door, or they just don't know or aren't aware. And I think a lot of times that just starts with education, right? You know, helping folks to understand there's a better way of doing things. So maybe we could quickly talk about like change management. Yeah, especially as it comes to like change management around fundamentals. And obviously the change management piece is still, it is very, very difficult because again, we're talking about like the fundamentals here. It's not about like the newest, coolest things. Any tips, advice for our listeners on how to drive change management within their business? If you're looking at change management, I think the most important thing is that transition of ownership, making sure that when you come in and maybe if you're an internal person within an organization or you're calling on an outside consultant, the special sauce of the ingredient I see, Ryan, that's really most important is, is having people take ownership of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, at Lifecycle Engineering, we like to think of ourselves as the coaches for organizational change, right? You know, we come in there, we teach you how to fish. To, to be able to do it yourselves. And that all starts with the assessment process, you know, going through identifying areas of deficiencies within the organization that, you know, the consultant's not doing it for you. 
that you have an internal team that does that. And then when it comes to present a business case, you know, for reliability, and this is just an important aspect, I think, of change management, is that you have that team, that internal team present to the executive leadership. Yeah. So the executive leadership understands that, hey, this isn't coming from a consultant or a third party. You know, this is coming internally. You know, these are people that care about the organization. They come to work every day and they do it. But then also, you know, once you've presented that business case and they understand they need to invest in reliability, you know, getting out there to the shop floor and actually doing the stuff, laying out how could, you know, my work order process be optimized? You know, mm -hmm. how can I take out a step here? You know, how can I make it more efficient? You know, as you're doing that, you know, you maybe have, lean on somebody for those best practices and understanding the best practices, but you're actually, your internal team is doing it themselves. And so I think what's so important about change management is having folks understand what's in it for them. You know, not having to work overtime on weekends, getting good bonuses, you know, having a good Christmas party, you know, those, those types of things. When the company is doing well, I'm doing well. <laughs> you know, what, one thing that you mentioned there, again, we, we talked a little bit about change management. We talked a little bit about getting the fundamentals right. And you also mentioned what you do is you help people, you know, essentially present their plan up to, let's call it like upper management to get buy-in. You know, maybe as a listener to this podcast, who's thinking about putting together a plan to present up, what are the most important components to this plan? When we talk about like putting together, like let's call it like a basic reliability program within a facility. I think, you know, you really got to start at the top, right? And executive understanding. I think the big buzzword nowadays, ISO 55,000, right? Mm -hmm. You know, starting with a policy and a SAMP. I've worked with some folks that have moved on, have you know longed to be a practitioner again and back into the factory. And, and some of the ones that I've spoken with recently have really utilized ISO 55,000 to build a policy. And a policy just being you know a one sheet that the executives recognize the importance of having an asset management plan in place. And this is their edict to the organization. So starting from the, the very top, you know, and then moving into a strategic asset management plan, getting into building equipment maintenance plans. And like you had mentioned, Ryan, getting into like, you know, criticality analysis, FMEAs, you know, that stuff is going to make you when you're good and you have all that data in place and you're making data-driven decisions that support you and being proactive, I think, you know, and then once you start getting you know, to the point to where you're fine tuning it with predictive maintenance programs that are supporting your overall approach. I think that that's, that's a great strategy. Dan, what are you most excited by? You know, future trends, technologies, what, what are you most excited by that you think will help you know, redefine and shape and change our, our industry? Well, Ryan, how about you? Like, <laughs> what do you feel like? I'd like to know how you feel on that. I'm excited by a lot of things. One of them is, is not just remote condition monitoring, but also remote, remote control. You know, I think we have a lot, we've been pushing this predictive maintenance term for so long. And personally, I feel like it is a little bit overused and abused. What I think is way more interesting than just monitoring the, the, the status of your equipment is actually the, the control component. It's the action that we take based off of the insights that we can gather, the data that we gather. Yeah, that's very exciting. I think that there's a lot to be had in that capacity. You know, uh, recently I was 
engaged with a, a, a grocery delivery facility. It was like a warehouse. And I started asking them how many employees they had there. And they said, well, we have eight employees and it's all robotics, you know, a grocery fulfillment center. That's what it was, Ryan. Just to, to understand that there's going to be a, a change. Now, there's always a need, you know, in, in my work with SMRP, there's always a need for people with technical skills. And that's one of the things that we're endorsing a lot through SMRP nowadays are skills and trades, right? And development of folks coming out of high school and making it more attractive to get there in, into manufacturing. So I really um, am excited about some of that work that's going on right now uh, within the technical and trade schools to get us back to you know, where we were 30 years ago, even, you know, it's, it's slipped so far within, uh, within American manufacturing, uh, the skills and trades. And I think that, you know, right now we've got an opportunity to take advantage of the younger workforce, make it attractive. Uh, there's a lot of money to be had, you know, to work in, in manufacturing. That's one of the things that I, I find exciting is that I see that uptick you know, even through SMRP and our fly-ins on Capitol Hill and, and networking with senators. And uh, just, there's a lot, I think, to a lot of growth potential there. And I see it happening right now, Ryan. I'm looking forward to that too. Uh, Dan, great conversation today. Can you share with all of our listeners the different ways that they connect with you and follow you on your journey? Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I, I, I'm more than open uh, on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, the Lifecycle Engineering website, or through the SMRP Board of Directors. All right. Thank you again, Dan, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's Masterminds in Maintenance and our Maintenance Community Podcast. My name again is Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Shoot me an email directly at ryan at onupkeep.com. You can also find me and Dan in the Maintenance Community Slack group. You can feel free to ask us any follow-up questions from today's episode or suggest any future topics. You can feel free to sign up at upkeep.org and I hope to connect with all of you soon. Until next time, thanks again, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's my pleasure. <laughs>